welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are so delighted to have join us for the Defender Podcast. Corey Robertson and Sadie Robertson Huff, and many of you may know them as stars in the A&E show Duck Dynasty, but more than a show, they are members of a family, and as members of a family, they are also an adoptive mom, an adoptive sister, and we're so grateful to be able just to talk to them about, first and foremost, how adoption and foster care has shaped their family, both as a mom, but also as a sibling, And just to also talk about raising teenagers and raising a generation in a spotlight and really to hear more about their stories and and how they were able to to stay grounded in the midst of a spotlight. So I am sure that you will be encouraged and that you will be challenged uh, by this awesome opportunity for us to talk uh, to these two prominent members of the Robertson family. You know, Corey is a New York Times bestseller author. Uh, Like we said, she's star of A&E's Duck Dynasty and most recently at home with the Robertsons on Facebook Watch. She works in the family business Duck Commander and is co-owner of Tread Lively Productions, working to produce more faithful faith and family-friendly entertainment through podcasting, film, and reality scripted television. Corey is passionate about following Jesus, motherhood, adoption, caring for children, and strengthening families around the world. She also enjoys travel, tennis, books, and teaching art in the summer at Camp Chioka. And Corey loves doing life with her husband, Willie, their six children and five grandchildren in their hometown of West Monroe, Louisiana. Also, we're joined, as we said, by Sadie Robertson Huff, and she's a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and encourager. Sadie is uh, on the mission to reach her generation with the message of Jesus. Her ministry, Live Original, is a community of sisters and friends inspiring people to find their purpose and live with originality. Huff is the host of the popular podcast, WOA, and that's good, which continues to reach millions of listeners around the world. She's the creator of LO Sister, an app for women that fosters a space for growing deeper in faith and sisterhood. And Sadie recently released her new book, Who Are You Following? for Suing Jesus in a Social Media Obsessed World, and is also the author of Live, Live Fearless, and Live Original. Sadie and her husband Christian live in West Monroe, Louisiana, with their daughter Honey and their animal Cabo. Before we do hear from both Corey and Sadie, I want to remind you about Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday is when many churches dedicate a Sunday to advocating and raising awareness for the needs of orphans worldwide. Although churches can choose any Sunday during the year, the designated day for Orphan Sunday this year is November the 13th. Lifeline has created a resource page full of free videos, slides, handouts, prayer cards, sample sermons, small group guides, and so much more. Partner with us to speak up for the voiceless and defend orphans and vulnerable children around the world. Get more information or request a Lifeline speaker for your church at lifelinechild.org backslash orphan dash Sunday. And again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash orphan dash Sunday. Or as always, you can see our show notes. So like I said, we're so grateful to have Corey Robertson and Sadie Huff on the Defender podcast with us today. Uh, Friends, you know, adoption is so much a part of your family story. 
And Corey, I would just love to start with you. And you just tell us a little bit about how the Lord even called you and Willie into foster care and adoption in the first place. Sure. I'd love to talk about that. So um, I'd say Willie and I both grew up in really different families. Like everything kind of looked different from the outside. But on the inside, one of the things that were common to both of our families, one was our faith. And then two, we both have really open homes, homes that just parents were that were very hospitable. We always had someone sleeping in our guest room and whether it be a single mom and her children because they needed a place, you know, getting out of an abusive situation, or it could have been a family, just, you know, a missionary family coming through or whatever. We just always had someone living with us. So my parents never adopted, but there were just kids that were in and out all through my life. And I just always loved that. And Willie's home was the same way, just always open to someone needed a place to crash they had a couch. And so um, my senior year in high school was when Willie and I started dating. And um, my Bible teacher that year, his name was Mr. Matthews. He adopted a little boy and it just made such a huge impact on me. And that year, you know, I remember him talking about in our Bible class, you know, um, that scripture in James that talks about um, religion that is pure and faultless and that's taking care of widows and orphans and um, just how important that is to us as Christians that we do that, that we follow that. And um, so Willie and I were dating and I said, hey, I think I want to adopt someday. And he said, me too. Let's do it. So it was just always a part of our family plan. We didn't know what it was going to look like or how it was going to happen. But we just knew that someday that was going to be a part of what made our family complete. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, one of the things that's just been used by God is to give you all a platform. And I think a lot of what's been talked about the platform your family has had is your stand for biblical values but really adoption and foster care has impacted every member of your family in, in different ways. Uh, what type of platform have you seen the Lord give you to really even advocate for adoption and foster care? Yeah, that's been really one of the cool things about what happened with Duck Dynasty. Because like, of course, when we adopted, our kids were little. We didn't have a platform. We were like children's minister at our church, worked at a summer camp. We didn't really know that we would ever speak about adoption. It was just part of what we did as a family. But like Mr. Matthew's impact on my life, you know, once people noticed that in us, it, I realized that like, you know, your actions actually do speak louder than words. When people notice that you did it and they see you as a family and what that looks like in your family, like, oh, maybe I can do it too. And then it just kind of led to us being able to speak about it. Um, we've been able to, you know, speak at a lot of adoption fundraisers. I just did one this last weekend. And that's always a joy because, you know, to just be a part of going around the country and seeing what people are doing and how there's a lot of people that really care and that are doing a lot of really good work in the space of foster care and adoption. So we've really now gotten to do that, um, I guess, just as a result of people noticing noticing that our family was made through adoption and wanting to hear a little bit more about it. Well, I know that for so many of us that we're just grateful that you guys have been faithful to use that platform, but also know when you have a platform like that, that can also impact your children, no matter how they came into your home, it can impact them. And Sadie, I, I know you were able to grow up in a home where the care for orphan and vulnerable children was modeled for you. Uh, even having you on a platform and, and, and that being in the the full light of everyone. But I, I'd love to know just from your uh, your impact or your perspective, how just having your family care for uh, the, the more vulnerable to, to have adoption as a part of your family story, how that impacted your worldview and even your view of the gospel. 
Yeah, that's so good. Well, mom and dad definitely did a great job just bringing people into our home, um, not just our siblings, but people just like two mama and two papa. She referenced her parents who just always had the doors open. And I think that in and of itself is just super cool and so hospitable. But also, um, obviously, the Bible calls us to be hospitable, but also to take care of orphans and widows. And I know that that was something that's always been on my mom's heart. And so it's kind of cool, though, because like mom said, it's not something that I ever think like, oh, we're going to go talk about adoption or make a stand for it. It's just kind of who our family was. And um, in that, it did make a stand and it did make an impact. Um, But I didn't know anything different. When I was five years old, my parents adopted my little brother, Will. And uh, probably one of my earliest memories is going and getting Will in uh, Baton Rouge. And I had my big sister shirt and I thought he was so cute and I was just so in love with him and um, never saw him any different than I saw my other brother, you know. And then um, later on, Rebecca came into our family because my mom really wanted us to learn about other cultures. And she brought Rebecca in because she was a foreign exchange student from Taiwan, ended up staying and being a part of our family and then rowdy. And so it's just been amazing to see um, just so many people come in our family and really be family. Um, it's not like my adopted brother, it's my brother. And I think that that is what you see so much of the gospel in, just like um, God is my father. And it says in the Bible that we are adopted into um, sonship with God, that we get to cry out, Abba, Father. But, um, you know, being an adopted child of God doesn't feel any less than being a child of God. It, it's you get the fullness of being a child of God, the fullness in calling him father. And so um, seeing my siblings be fully my family and then knowing, man, that's how it is with my siblings in Christ, that they that is my sister, even though we might have grown up different and look different and have completely different lifestyles. That's my sister. And so I'm going to love her. Um, and it's taught me a lot about loving people as family who are different than you, um, that you can still, you know, have a radical love and you can be family, even though you're totally different. And that's the makeup that God made, which is cool to have that model in our home. Yeah, that's a picture perfect uh, display of the gospel too that brings us together through adoption from different backgrounds and different places. The gospel brings us together as one family. And I've often said, I've had the opportunity to speak on Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, Romans 8. One of the things that I always remind people is we have more in common with the believer in rural Africa than we do our next door neighbor who does not know Christ. And, you know, we've seen that. I've seen that as the Lord's given me the opportunity to travel around the world, the kinship of the adopted family of God. And what a great way to have that modeled in your home to see that family is so much bigger uh, than blood. Family is a connection. Family means something. Uh, You know, Corey, I I, I would just love for you to talk a little bit even about raising this family of yours. I know that you've written a book on raising children and raising kids. What advice would you give to parents who are raising children, maybe from complicated backgrounds or from traumatic backgrounds? And is there anything you might have learned through your experience and could just even encourage families that are in the middle of that journey right now? Yeah, um, I would say, first of all, is just offer yourself and offer your children grace. I think that's what we need most from God is grace and um, that what we what we need for ourselves and for our children, because, you know, if you are walking through and, you know, bringing a new child into your family, 
the, there are things you don't know. You're not going to know it all and you're going to, you know, make missteps and you're going to do things wrong and you're going to. And um, I remember thinking about so when we got Rowdy into our family, he was 12 and he had gone from being an only child to the youngest of six and just imagining how that might feel for him and how you know much grace he needed in that moment to to make that huge change in his life and for all of us as well to like say okay we have a new member of our family that you know is just we're we're doing everything new and fresh and like we're not going to do it all right we have to give ourselves grace in that moment and then also you know just ask god for wisdom and you know i remember just praying to God, just saying, God, just give us, give us that radical love, give us that wisdom and what to do in the moment. And, and, um, you know, he'll, he provides that, you know, we feel like we have to do it all, but whenever we can just kind of lay it out his feet and say like, look, this is, this is yours, you know, this is yours to do. And we'll just, we're just gonna keep waking up and being faithful to what you promised us. And, um, and, and he will, he delivers every time. Yeah. I'm going to take some liberty and guess here. You know, I think a lot of times on on the show, even when maybe there's some antics or some issues that came up, it kind of always got tied up in a nice little bow. But but I know that real life is always a little bit messy and a little bit difficult and a little bit hard. Um, talk about, you know, just just where you found that dependence when the cameras were off and everything wasn't getting tied up in a little bow. Kind of where, where did you draw from? I mean, obviously the Lord, but what were some some things that were just encouragement to you? Yeah, I remember at the time um, I had a little group of about four other adoptive moms that we would text. And these were moms who had adopted older children and kind of knew that the, you know, unique difficulties that might come with that or differences that might come with that. And, you know, they were people that I could just say, okay, this was a rough day, you know, or, and I needed a little bit of encouragement and they would just encourage me along the way. So I think community is really, really important. The church is really important. And, you know, we're really lucky that we have family and a lot of family support. I know actually the day that I told my mom that we were, um, going to adopt Rowdy. She said, you do realize you left Will at school today. You forgot, you forgot one of your kids, you know, today at the track meet. And I was like, yeah, I did do that. But, you know, thanks. Thank you for picking them up. But it's like, we do have a lot of family support and a lot of like, when, when I'm dropping a ball, like my mom, I can call her. I was like, mom, go get Will. I left him at the track meet and forgot about him. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that to have family support is so important. And that, but I know a lot of people don't have that. So, you know, hopefully you can find that through your church. That's what church is supposed to be for one another. You know, it's supposed to be that brother and sister in Christ for one another. So I think community is a real big part of it. Um, also, you know, within our, our children, we just talked a lot about it, you know, like about the struggles and we're just, we're really open to be real with those moments and to know that like, it's not always going to per- be perfect. There's going to be some things that are messy. There's going to be some things that you're going to be really, really frustrated about, you know, and you might walk in and mom's crying in the bedroom because like this day was just hard, you know? And so I think that a part of that is just being open and real with your family and, and with your kids that like, um, real life is messy. And there was, a, um, I heard this somewhere that and I remember just loving it. It was talking about how a graveyard is like very orderly 
and you know everything's in a row and it's all perfect and everything kind of stays the same but there's no life there but the nursery the baby nursery is messy and there's life and there's crying and there and there's you know diapers to change and there's all this but that's where the life is and so you know know that like just because it's messy doesn't mean it's not good yeah that's beautiful uh i love that analogy and and what a great reminder, right, too, that we have an opportunity to live through the messy and to make an impact, uh, even while we have this life in us. You know, Sadie, I I know a lot is said about children that come into a home that come to our home either through adoption or foster care. And we put a lot of attention a lot of times in christening them or how do we care for those children or, you know, how do we, how do we parent maybe differently? Uh, obviously, sometimes it brings stress even into the family, especially early on. And, and I know you were five and you really don't know a family without adoption and foster care that you can remember. But talk about being a child that came into the home biologically and kind of how that impacted your view. Uh, how, how, was, how did you feel about having even attention maybe put on to your brothers and sisters in a different type of way? I, I remember hearing one kid say one time, a younger child, right? Uh, that they didn't like being biological because they only had one day they were celebrated, their birthday, where their adopted siblings had their birthday and their gotcha day. And and they felt, you know, different in a, in a negative way. But just talk about being the biological sibling of an adopted family. Yeah, it's good. Well, I will say I was, um, I've always been the middle child. I'm like always end up in the middle, even with our adoptions. And somehow I still fight for the attention. So uh, <laughs> I, I worked harder at my job of my middle child attention. But no, I, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, you know, whenever Will came into the picture, I don't remember it changing my life in any negative way, because it was, you know, I, of course, when you're that little, you want other siblings. And I was like so in love with Will, not that I can remember thinking anything like that or feeling anything like that. And then the same month, my mom adopted, my mom and dad adopted Will. My mom found out she was pregnant with Bella. So it was like, it was just so crazy and so fast. And I remember being so excited. I was getting two new little siblings. And so that was not any different. But whenever Rowdy came, whenever he was 13, and I was a junior in high school. Um, I think that was whenever I saw more of those effects of adoption that can feel um, a little bit more difficult and unique um, because um, like mom said, I can't imagine how hard that was for him to come into a family of six kids when he was an only child. And uh, you know, for us, it was adding another um, person to something that we had very established. And I think that's where some of the rub can come. Um, and I think that's whenever you're really challenged with your selfishness. And I think that, you know, throughout life, I've noticed that each stage presents um, an opportunity to be less selfish and more selfless. Um, when you get married, people say, oh, you're going to realize how selfish you are. And to some degree you do. But then when you have a baby, you really realize it because you're like, I just want to sit on the couch for a second and watch TV. And you can't. You're going to be watching Coco Melon, you know. So, you know, you continue to get stripped of that, which I think is just becoming more like Jesus. But really, whenever adoption happens, is is a definite big um is a definite big moment of having to be more selfless. And I just remember moments of simple things like we all have our place where we sit at the dinner table. That's just our thing. That's that was our established thing. And Rowdy came and sat in someone's seat and I said, Oh, can you move down? Because that's so and so seat. And he goes, Does it really matter? 
why, why does that matter? And I was like, yes, it matters, you know? <laughs> and so like, I'm so annoyed. He's like, what's the deal? Like, he's an only child. He's like, why do y'all care where you sit? And we're like, why would you not respect where we sit? So, you know, just like the little things like that. And um, I definitely, you know, I even just, um, I remember the one of the first days Rowdy um, came into our family. I was you know, sitting there, I was actually putting scripture cards into a balloon. And my idea was I was going to let the balloons go and hopefully scriptures would fall in the right places. And this is me in high school. And so <laughs> I'm doing this and uh, Rowdy is there and I say, Rowdy, why don't you come help me do this? And he said something like, why doesn't dad have to help? And I was like, oh, you got a lot to learn, boy. <laughs> it's like, I was like, dad's not going to sit here and help me, but you are because you're my sibling and I'm not going to ask dad. And it was just his tone. And I just remember uh, being like bothered by the way that he, you know, said that about like talked about dad in a, in a negative way, like he wasn't helping. And so it's just like little things where it was like, that's not how we talk or that's not how we do this. And of course, for him, it's like, why do you do that? And so I think that's where like adoption, whatever kids are older, um, you know, you see more of those challenges. But again, it presents an opportunity to become more like Jesus and uh, become more selfless. Like, well, why do I do that? Do I really need, you know, to sit in that seat or can I offer, you know, um, some grace and just honestly, like let go of my pride and stubbornness and allow it to change. Um, so um, allowing it to change, embracing that. And, and I honestly think having to go through moments like that in your home make you such a better person in the world because life is full of those moments where you're not going to agree with the person, you know, in, in the airport, you know, where someone's yeah. going to be rubbing you wrong at the restaurant or at work or wherever you are. And, um, it, but if you know how to love your brother like that, then you can love your neighbor like that. And so I think that it made me a better person all in all, but it definitely did challenge me in a lot of new ways. Yeah, I think that's so good. I think that through big families, you do kind of have some natural things that you learn that because you, you have to like about sharing and about respecting someone else's differences and about all that. So I do think there are some benefits to big families and just kind of like refining us as people and making us more making us more Christ-like, you know, that servant, that servant spirit that um, Jesus, you know, asked us to have. And so Definitely, um, you know, I think some of that just comes naturally in big families, and especially whenever you um, you, you bring adoption into into the story, because you you do things things have to change, and that that's part of it. But we try to do that, you know. I don't know, you know, if your listeners are adoptive families or not, but like even if you don't, you're not one to adopt. Like you can do that calling to take care of orphans in so many ways. You know, there's foster care. And then we also, you know, really tried to expose our kids early on to like doing mission work and go into other countries and seeing that like, hey, this world is way bigger than like whatever is going on, like, you know, around your lunch table at school in the cafeteria. You know, we just really tried to expose our kids to kind of understand and see the world is, a, is bigger than them you know, and bigger than their little problems. And, you know, I think, I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's seeing the world as bigger than you. And I think in a world that's so self-focused, um, you know, being able to lay yourself down and love, love your family is so important. And then love your neighbor who is your family in Christ is so important. And yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And so spot on. And mom and dad did a great job of exposing us to the world at a young age and kind of not making us be the the big deal. And um, people ask me, you know, 
it's people just say things like it's crazy that you got famous at such a young age and you didn't lose your mind and you know I always just think to myself I, I believe that's probably because I have seen the world uh be so much bigger than my own little world. And um, I just see that there are so many more important things than um, my fame or my glory. You know, it's all about the glory of God and how can we help the world be a better place? Because when you see the world around you, I think you can't help but be compelled to want to help and want to live your life for something bigger than yourself. Man, that's so good. Uh, you know, I, I think, Sadie, even, even going on that, how is that now influencing you as a parent, right? Because you've you've watched your parents raise you. Uh, you've seen a home that that had open openness to children coming in, to helping others, to to thinking outside of yourself. Now that that you have honey in your life and you have a daughter, how has that even maybe influenced you now as a parent? And what are some of those dreams that you have for your family and for your children? Oh, for sure. I love this question. So uh, Christian and I definitely have a desire to adopt one day. And, you know, we just believe that that will be in God's timing, and God's hands and, um, you know, have open hands towards that. My parents were kind of the same way. Like my mom, you know, felt that calling since she was in middle school, but then or high school, but always felt her whole life like it was going to be God's timing. And I got to see that with all of them, all with Will and Rebecca and Rowdy. And so, I believe that for us too. And um, so we talk about that and it's fun to talk about, but just kind of waiting for what that looks like for our life. But I think with Honey right now, even it's just, we we really want her to see the world. We want to we want her to also see the world as bigger than her little world. And we want her to have a mission mindset of we're on mission as a family, you know, to share Christ with the world. And and you're a part of that, you know, and, and all of you is a part of that, you know, you're not just along for the ride, but like who God created you to be is a part of that. And it's, it's cool. The other day, a friend said, you know, I just love how y'all parent. She said, it just is so encouraging to me because, you know, I always thought whenever I have kids and no more travel, your life is over kind of thing. And she was like, but it's encouraging to see y'all do that. And I said, well, you know, you really just have to ask yourself, what do you want out of like, your family life, you know, what, what do you want your family life to look like? And I said, no, don't get me wrong. There are things, you know, there are sacrifices made one way or the other. And I said, what we sacrifice is sleep and a schedule and anything like consistent that so many people do and have. And that's great. Like if you want to, you know, have your baby go to bed every night at seven and eat certain things and do all this, then, then you have to pour into that. And same for us. If we want honey to see the world stuff, we bring her along for the ride, which can create crazy moments. And we had a plane ride to London with honey and she, she does a tongue roll. That's like her thing. She tongue rolls. She tongue rolled for three hours straight. Her tongue roll it means she's like, agitated. Yeah, it like was like, she's not happy. <sighs> for three hours you know so there's that but we got to take her to Norway to see me speak twice and then take her to Denmark and she's walking up the streets and you know it, she just to see the world be bigger than than her and we have our friends come over for our bible study every Wednesday night and she's just a part of that she's the only kid in our group but she's just a part of it and 
you know, once again, gets better a little later, um, has a little bit different of a schedule, but that's a priority for us, you know, that she, um, she can, she can go with the flow and she, she's going to love people. Well, she's going to see the world be bigger than her. And, um, so I just, I don't know. I think, I think it's really cool to start shaping those things for our family and really prioritizing the things that's important for us and our end goal for our family, what we want our family to look like, you know, when we're sitting in rocking chairs or even when we're gone, you know? And so it's really special to start thinking about. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, really just, being who our children need us to be in those moments, realizing that we all have different lives. We all have different callings. We all have different stresses, you know, and, and Corey, I, I even think, you know, as you raise your family again in a spotlight, uh, you know, that spotlight has blessings. It also has hardships that come with it. I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of folks look at your family and, and the consistency they have seen has been a testimony to the goodness of God in your family. Um, so many have, have been given a platform and a pedestal and they've started to compromise or maybe they've, you know, kind of strain away from a clarion call of the gospel. But one thing that we look at at you and, and Willie and your family is just consistency. And now you're getting to see that lived out in the next generation. You know, talk about just the the passing a mantle of such to your children and how do you stay consistent and help your kids live consistently? Cause I think probably every parent that's listening to this, their hope is to see their kids walking in the way of the Lord and to see them truly take this faith that we know is true and not just believe it because their parents believed it, but really live it out. Uh, talk about just the joy of seeing your children walk in the Lord, but also just tips for helping disciple your children to really see truth, to know truth and to love the Lord. Um, yeah. Well, I think as far as like the consistency, I think it's, um, you know, people kind of ask us when we first started, they were like, are they going to show like that you're Christians or whatever? And I was like, our show is not like, you know, it's not a preaching show or anything like that, but I was like, but they're not going to be able to get around it because it's who we are. Like it affects every aspect of our life. It's who we are at home. It's who we are at work. It's who we are as husband and wife. It's who we are as parents. It's who they are as kids. And so like, I think when your faith infiltrates everything, it's not just what you do on Sunday morning, then it's not hard to be consistent. And so, um, and I would say how we came to that is because we really just believe that it's true. You know, we really believe that God's way is the way to live, that he, you know, loves us so much that he created this pathway for us to him and, um, you know, and that he has an abundant life for us to live. And so um, we saw it in our parents. I think the legacy, um, we're so grateful to have the legacy, you know, my side of the family he has a legacy of faith that was passed down. Um, to, to to me and Willie the same way and that but he saw it in a different way. You know, his parents almost didn't make it. And it was when Jesus came into their life that everything changed. And so they saw this like complete 180, a family that was not going to make it, that was separated, that was, it was full of like alcoholism and abuse and adultery and like as bad as you can imagine it got. And then when Jesus came in, everything changed, you know? So I think just us being able to see that from kind of both sides, from one, from a legacy of faith and from two, from a, a family that like, you know, Jesus changed everything. It gives us that like faithfulness and consistency to continue in it. And um, so that's really just kind of how we live. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's, 
we don't overly complicate it. We just really say like, this is who we are. This is what we believe. And so that's how we live. And we try to just live that in every aspect of our life. And um, not that we do it perfectly because we don't um, definitely do not, but um, that's how we try to live. And so I guess as far as passing it down, I think um, it comes from just like talking about it a lot. Sadie was my one that like at three was like asking every question you can imagine about heaven and hell and the devil and God and and all this. And I was like, who are you? So like um, definitely like we just talked about it a lot in our home and it wasn't like, um, okay, at seven o'clock every night we sit down and read scriptures while that is beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, if we were a more consistent people, we would have done that, but we just didn't. And we weren't, we were the kind of family that'd be like, okay, you know, we're going to start Let's doing do this. this. And, and now I, we do two nights. We do it twice and never again. Yeah. That was more us. Like when we're not super consistent. That's not our gifting as far as like, you know, following the plan that we come up with. But, um, as far as, um, the I consistency guess, and, and living out, you know, the mission of, go and tell the world, go and make disciples was very consistent, but we are so bad at like, um, scheduling or plans. Like I always say this, I don't even keep my toothbrush at the same side every night. Like, I don't even know where my toothbrush is half the time. Like, Oh, there it is. There it is. I left it there. I left it there. Like, I'm just not orderly like that, you know, but at the same time, so I had to get up every day and brush my teeth. And so it's like, yes, it might not look the same consistent order every single day, but our love for Jesus is every single day. No question about about it. And I think that the way they pass it down that I hope to do for honey as they really just lived it out. It wasn't forced upon us. It was, man, that looks like the best way to live. You know, that we knew about my grandparents before they knew Jesus. That did not seem good. And we knew about after and that seemed amazing. We knew it was amazing. We got the fruit of that. We saw my parents and the fruit of um, you know, being played into a church community and just their love for the word and their knowledge of scripture and the peace it brought into our home and just the the love that we had in our home. And we want that, you know, and, and truly the fruits and the nature of who Jesus are are so attractive. And so I think if you live that out, people are drawn to that and people want to live like that. And I'm thankful that all of our siblings, you know, saw that in my parents and our the generations ahead and we want to embody that for our families and the people that follow us. And it's not a forcing. It's not, oh, you know, we are celebrities and we're Christians. Like, no, we're Christians. You know, we, we love Jesus and, and whatever we do and wherever we are, that's going to be obvious because it's who we are. I was having a conversation with um, a young guy. This was whenever the kids were teenagers. And I think I wrote about this in my book because it struck me and it really did actually kind of like, um, turned me, I guess, even stronger for, for the way I lived my life in front of our kids. And he said, um, he had, he had, you know, grown up in a Christian home and he had just gone away for a while and was like, I was just, you know, living not, a, you know, life of faith. I, I didn't even know if I believed in God. And I said, why do you, and then he had come back to faith later in his life. And I said, why do you think that happened? Why do you think he went away for that time? And he said, well, my parents said they valued the things that God valued, but they live like they valued the things the world valued. They live like they valued money and my education and sports and, you know, the latest, you know, designer bag or whatever. And he saw it, even though 
you know, they said one thing, they actually lived like they really, what they really cared about, what they really valued was something else. And I remember that struck me so powerfully. And I was like, whoa, what am I saying to my children that I value by the things I talk about, by the, the conversations that Willie and I have at night, by the things that I like um, reward them in or by the things that I encourage in them? What are those things that um, that they're learning about what I value by what I spend my time on? And um, and and it was a wake up call for me to say, like, I need to make sure that what I'm showing them I value is what's really important. And that's what God values. Amen. You know, one of the things that I love the most about what you said there, Corey, a minute ago was that you would try things and it would last for about two nights. Because I think, you know, a lot of families have really good intentions and they don't feel like it can carry anything out. Um, but I think, you know, as parents, we realize it's the consistency in living out through the messy that makes the biggest difference to our children. And yeah, we need to be reading scripture and we need to be having family devotion, but the consistency of pointing them back to Christ in the broken and the messy and the difficult is so important. Well, you know, ladies, one of the things that I kind of like to talk about, you know, before we close is, is, is a big thing. And Sadie, I know it's a big part of your ministry, Live Original, but so many folks really are struggling today to reach their teenagers, especially. And, you know, a lot of kids, especially have come from hard places. You've, you've got a double whammy and we're living in a world where we've talked a lot about spotlight, you know, um, over the last 30 minutes, but, but really now kids all have a spotlight on them through social media. Uh, they can be their own stars. They can, you know, have their own videos. They're looking at followers and, and comments and things like that. And I would just love to, to hear both of you speak on, to parents, but also to teenagers, you know, for teenagers, how do they, what's some advice to live in this world that's so much different uh, than a world even 20 to 25 years ago? And for parents, how do you really consistently reach the hearts of your teenagers in a world that's constantly pulling for their attention, that's constantly telling them that they can have their own truth and their own spotlight? What, what word would you give to both teenagers, but also to their parents in navigating these times we live in? Here you go. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, a big one. That is a big one. Wow. Well, I wrote a book called Who Are You Following? That I'd probably attack this in a way, way, way bigger, deeper way. Um, it's all about who are you following in a social media obsessed world, following Jesus in a social media obsessed world. And so um, so I talk a lot about social media and the effects that it has and the my truth, your truth, the truth, what 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 is the difference in all of those things. And um, so I dive a lot deeper in that. I think as far as and just the world we live in. And I will say, I do speak, you know, a lot to the younger age group. And I'm so grateful to have an influence on teenagers' lives these days. It's, it is a huge honor. But I will say, I was kind of a toot when I was a teenager to my mom. So uh, mom can totally speak into that. You had your moments. But I have that, a moment. Not, not, I have a moment. I have a moment. And I remember, though, and I'll, I'll go ahead and expose myself. I remember just, you know, going through all the teenage feels, all the emotions, all the things. And one of the my favorite things that my parents did was they didn't try to say, you know, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. But they sat there. And I remember my mom saying, I remember when I did that or I remember when I felt like that or I had a friend who did that to me and that really hurt, you know, and. And it just was that relatability that drew me closer to them instead of away from them. That made me go, I want to tell you what I'm going through because you get it and not you're going to tell me that uh, I 
you know, don't need to be thinking that or I'm being dramatic, even if I was, you know, you know, they were going to relate to me and they were going to help me. And sometimes they would say, you know, you're being a little dramatic. And that was also good for me to hear. But it wasn't always like, let me tell you what you're doing wrong or what you should have done. It was, um, let me talk to you about, you know, how to get through it. And that was always just really super helpful to me. Um, so for a parent, I think that's just the best thing you can do for your teenager is just to sit with them and to talk to them and try to understand and have empathy for where they're at. Maybe even share a time that you felt the same way. Cause that's just so huge. Like that is so huge when you hear your mom who you put on this pedestal as mom went through the same thing because she was one time 15 too, you know, even if you can't understand to some degree, because yes, social media is different, but you all, we all have the same feelings as humans that these like emotions produce in us. Um, so I would say that for moms to so teenagers, I would say this, um, you know, used to, I would say social media is such a negative place, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized one day I control my social media. Like if it's a negative space, it's who I'm choosing to follow. If it's a negative space, it's what I'm choosing to look at when I'm typing in in my search bar. If my page is a negative place, it's what I'm choosing to post, the captions I'm choosing to write. And I just realized, you know, you can blame social media all day long, but at the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for the fact that social media allows you to have a profile and allows you all the control and who you follow and what you look at and what you post. Um, and for the accounts and the the posts, uh, I'll say to the social media accounts that don't allow you to see what you're looking at, I don't have them. I think Snapchat, I don't think you can guard your heart very well. I deleted it. TikTok, I don't, I personally don't believe you can guard your heart super well because the popular page is just going to pop up a video um, that you can't really control based off of who you're following because it's so based on the popular page. I don't look at it. Um, so I want to guard my heart. I want to guard my mind. I want to steward my life well, um, my eyes, even as I'm looking at social media. But now, oh my gosh, if you look at my social media, I always say this, you'll get saved. Like my, my newsfeed is like the most positive newsfeed ever. I get preached at all day long, but it also is not, it's not just preaching. I mean, I see fun pictures and family pictures and sweet pictures and my friends and then even some celebrities I just like to follow, but they're positive. Like Jennifer Garner, so sweet. Like post her little cooking videos, you know. There's so many celebrities out there who love Jesus, you know. Uh, I hope my page is a beacon of light to people. Um, and then not just following the right people, but recognizing that people are following you. So be that person for their feed that might stop them as they're scrolling and say, wow, that actually actually changes the game for me. You know, the, the words that she said, the post that she wrote, the scripture that that led me to read later, you know, the video that she showed on Instagram that I'm going to go watch. And it's a sermon. Look at that. And it's, it's life changing. And so I just believe you can use social media for so much good. And I always say this: social media is only as healthy as you are. It's only as healthy as we are. The um, social media, um, just looking at it is really a reflection of the health of the world, which is kind of scary. Um, and so the healthier people that we are, the better platforms that will be. And so to teenagers, just take ownership for um, the amazing opportunity you have to have a platform and to follow the right people, but also be the person that people need to follow um, in return. And so I get passionate about social media because I think it gets a bad rep and I've just seen some really powerful things happen through it. And I think if you change your mindset on it, um, we can, you know, uh, let run it instead of letting it run us. That's good. That's good. Um, I was thinking as, as Sadie was talking the, at the beginning, what she was saying was, I think that 
you know, as our kids grow, like that freedom in Christ that we come to Christ because of the goodness of Christ, the love, joy, peace, patience. It's that aroma of Christ that yeah. draws you to, you know, and as Christians, sometimes we focus on what not to do. And that doesn't, that draws people away, you know, rather than like, there's so much goodness in being a Christ follower in the life that he has for us. And so I think, um, you know, as parents, give your kids the freedom to make mistakes and to try things and to try to figure it out. But Show them that the goodness that that Jesus brings into their life and they will be drawn to that, you know, and and even if, you know, it might not be for a moment, they may have some time through. I mean, you can be the best parent in the world. My mom always says God was the best parent in the world and Adam and Eve still fell. You know, like you can be the best parent in the world and your kids are, could still go off for a while and, and decide that they're going to have their own way and figure their own thing out. And that that's true for all of us and all of our families. But, um, you know, if you continue to just kind of be there like the father in the story of the prodigal son, be there and ready and waiting to, um, you know, throw the robe around and the ring on the finger. Um, I think that's such a beautiful picture uh, of God, our father, and what what we need to look like as parents. Um, as far as social media and the spotlight, I think that um, one thing I always challenge our kids is just like if you start noticing your page and it's just you, 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 you might be a little bit obsessed with you, you know, and like that's really not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is like, you know, the last shall be first, the first shall be last and the is the is the heart of the servant. And um, it's not about just putting yourself up on a pedestal. And so, you know, notice those things and like and, and see your life is on a mission. Like you have purpose and you have meaning. And, you know, if even from a very young age, like your, your life can have meaning and purpose. And, um, you know, another part about what, you know, the thing that we talk about a lot, Sadie, I've talked about a lot because so many young people are like waiting for like that calling or that word or that, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And I was like, you know, Jesus tells us to love God and love others. That's it. Like you got it. Like that's your purpose. That's your meaning. What, however you want to do it. Like, God made you unique and special and original and gave you all these talents. Like, how do you use that to love God and love others? Yep. That's all you got to figure out. And um, you can do it in any number of ways. You can yep. you can do it. it. It can look like millions of different things. Mm-hmm. And there's freedom in that and beauty in that. But it's very simple. Love God and love others. Yep. And um, when you do that, your, your life will be blessed. It's good. Truth. Ladies, I really appreciate uh, the time and I appreciate just the, the openness and the genuineness. And I know that uh, this will encourage many young people, uh, many parents, and especially many that are, are walking through the journey of adoption and foster care and caring for the, the vulnerable. Because I know just like you, the families that listen to this podcast desperately want to, to show Christ and to disciple their, their kids to know Christ and to make him known. And we're grateful for the ways that y'all have lived authentic and used your platform. And thank you for joining us today on the Defender Podcast. Thank you so much. much. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com 
follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.